Chris, have you heard the good news? KDE's working on modernizing Kate, their text editor. Oh, yeah, I love Kate. It's great. So what does modernizing it mean, though? What does a text editor need? Okay, well, they say they want to make it more like Adam. Does that mean they're rewriting it in Electron? Let's hope not. Hello, friends, and welcome into Linux Unplugged 318. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. Big show. Huge show. Too big, maybe. I know. It's an oversized show. We got an oversized load. We're one of those podcasts going down the road right now, and we have somebody ahead of us and behind of us saying, hey, this podcast is too big. Wildly swerving all around. That's, That's how, how it goes. we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up, we'll have some really interesting community news, as well as Phil, one of the co-founders of Manjaro, will be joining us to talk about their big announcement. They're going... And really taking Manjaro to what would probably be described as an entirely new era for the distribution. It's a big deal. So he'll be on in just a little bit. We have a little bit of news we want to share ourselves this sure week. Sure do. And then something big is happening for Chromebooks that melts my brain a little bit. In the beta channel right now, on Chrome OS, you can choose between Debian, Ubuntu, or Fedora for your Linux user land. And once you choose that... You get the full stack. You get the package manager. You can install applications, even graphical ones. They get added to the Chrome OS launcher. It's a full integration story, Wes. Can you say year of the Linux desktop, anyone? So we thought, uh, let's go back in time to uh, the origination, the launch of Chrome OS. How it all began. We'll cover that a little bit and then uh, talk about this huge change. But before we get any further, we got to say good morning to Cheesy. Hello, Cheese. Hello, Internet. How are you? Hello. Good, good. And time appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Happy Linux Tuesday, everyone. Happy Linux Tuesday to you too, Jill. Hello to Brent and Bruce and Byte and Al and Jill and Lord Desk and Minimech and TechMav Alt. So he might have a goatee. And of course, Turth is in there too. And we start out with something pretty fun. We got a package that arrived in the studio this week, and I'm looking at that box, Wes, and I'm thinking that's something from System76. Sure looks like it. Do you want to do a live unboxing here on the show? I mean, I've been having to resist opening it up all day. All right, Wes Payne, let's do it. Come on now, get to that big box. Inside this, it looks like it's shaped... (laughs) I like how he's really going at it. (laughs) You're really excited. There's no time to waste! He's he's been waiting for this. What are you seeing, Wes? Okay, well, their characteristic, lovely interior box art, that's of course here. Oh, oh, they've got good instructions, and I see a beefy rig. Yeah, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, in the box from System76 arriving in the studio is one of their Adder workstation laptops. It's well packaged in that there's a lot of plastic between me and it that I'm currently working on getting through. So what's neat about that is you can fold it such, and that plastic gives, and it makes it really easy to do recycling, too. So you can pull that cardboard out, you let the bottoms out, and it, it releases the plastic, and the laptop slides right out. It's a really clever packaging system that they have. So the Adder workstation is a laptop that they say is really built for content creators, researchers, and gamers. It's 15-inch large screen. It's got an RTX 2070 in it, an 8-core Intel i9 CPU. So we'll see uh, what we got here. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> he got it out. It's free. How, how, what's the first impressions? It's, uh, it's, it's thick, but it's not huge for something yeah, this small. It looks massive. like some solid speakers right there underneath. That stands out. And, you know, um, 
not as many ports as I might have expected. Hmm, well, check the back. One of the things they do is they put a lot of the big there ports there. They are in wow. the back, which I think that's an old tradition that should have never gone away. Power power cord, HDMI port, it's all in the back, so your big cables are not side to side, and I really like that. Yeah, nice looking keyboard, good depth of travel on the keys, at least feels like so far. Yeah, and that screen is looking good. So um, we'll give this the full kick of the tires. If you have any suggestions or questions about a workstation laptop like this, let us know. Tweet me at Chris LES or go to linuxunplugcom slash contact and send your questions. And so we're sending that to the lab now to uh, kick it off and uh, see how it performs. What the hell is that? That's the sound from the lab. Oh. <laughs> is that a truck? We'll let that go. We'll let that pass. Are we planning to uh, benchmark this through the test suite or something like that to kind of see where we're at on it? Or? Oh, yes. One of the things I've done, Cheesy, is I've benchmarked, you know, the machines that have been in here over the years, but also all of our studio machines. So it's really cool. I can compare how systems that come in due to previous systems we reviewed, but also how they compare just to our existing boxes. So I can get an idea of, like, if we were to, say, replace a studio production machine with this piece of hardware, we could see this level of improvement. Um, that's pretty fun because yeah. we've had some monster systems in here, so it's always interesting to see where they'll sort of rate on the leaderboard, if you will. Now, what do you say we get into a little community news here, Wes Payne? It's about time. The one that I, I think a lot of people were surprised by in the community this week was Richard Stallman at the Microsoft Redmond campus giving a talk. Yes, Microsoft invited the free software legend Richard Stallman to speak at the Microsoft Research headquarters this week. Microsoft Azure's chief technology officer, Mark Rosinovich, tweeted earlier this week, September 5th, that Richard Stallman visited the campus and gave a talk at the Microsoft Research Lab. Yeah, we've got a few inside details from someone at Microsoft. He basically said Stallman gave a standard talk, you know, covering the importance of free software, GPL version 3, GNU versus Linux. Although it sounds like he also had a list of what he called small requests. Make GitHub push users to use better software license hygiene. Make hardware manufacturers publish their hardware specs. And now, last but not least, make it easier to work around Secure Boot. I like that one still on the list. We yeah, I think it. the rest of us forgot about it. Yeah, I did kind of move on. But RMS never forgets. He's he he's like a dog with a bone on that kind of stuff. He he really like he'll follow a cause to the end. Get it out of here. Also in Microsoft news. The first Windows subsystem for Linux conference has been announced. That's how you know it's real. Uh, it's actually taking place right in our neck of the woods, Chris. It's going to be March 10th and 11th, 2020, at Building 20 on the Microsoft HQ in Redmond, Washington. Now, it's still coming together, but we already know it's going to have presentations from Penguin, Whitewater's Linux for Windows, of course, Microsoft's Windows subsystem for Linux team, and some folks from Canonical. Hmm. Yes, what, too? Uh, rumor has it West Payne's going to be there as well. I think I just as well might. as myself. Yeah, I've uh, I've already talked with uh, Hayden Barnes, the founder of uh, Whitewater Foundry, and he's one of the uh, individuals working on this, and he's would love to have you guys there. And previous guest on the show. And it's uh, just a just a run down the uh, old uh, freeway for us. Really, it'll be interesting to see this sort of newer community of users take shape. Right? I mean, this is all kind of out in the open. It's it's happening. A lot of it's based on open source but it's a new generation. Yeah, it was pretty surprising when I emailed their PR and I got a response back from Hayden himself. Like, oh, well, okay, great. <laughs> it's it's really cool to see this becoming super serious too. Uh, I have a sense that uh, it's no coincidence that Canonical's name is on that list. I think they're taking it more seriously too. So we'll see where that goes in the future. 
But this week, there's one story I think that really got people's attention. Pretty big deal for a little uh, Linux distro that could. It started out as an alternative to Arch, and now it's really developed into some favorite desktop Linux. Well, this week, Manjaro announced that they're taking the next step. Phil joins us. He is one of the co-founders of Manjaro. He was there when it was a hobby project, and now he's here to join us to talk about this big announcement. Phil, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hello, sir, and congratulations on the big announcement. Yes, it was pretty big, and a lot of effort uh, went into that, and uh, a lot of man hours as well, and finally we're there. I imagine it takes many months of effort behind the scenes to get a company established, to to make agreements with certain parties, and work out details. I, this must have been an area of some focus. Sure, we we had a lot of uh, airplane tickets, uh, hotel stays, and uh, business talks with several people over there, even with lawyers uh, and accountants and whatever is needed to uh, get a company started. So this has been in the works for a while. My uh, my first thoughts from the headlines of this is what we're getting out of this is some more full-time free software developers. How many people are getting employed uh, as part of this? Well, at, at the start, it's uh, two people. Uh, one is uh, Bernard Landauer, who is from Austria. And a second, it's me. So we are becoming uh, the heads of the company, both acting as CEOs. And from then, we will see who we employ. Now, a little little tease. Uh, right now in the books, we plan to have Bernard on next week to follow up on another topic. But while we have you, Phil, uh, I know Blue Systems is involved to some level. Can you share like what their involvement is? Well, they're our advisor and helped us to uh, create a company. And as you know, Blue Systems is in all areas of open source, and we are proud to have them on board. Yeah, they seem like they uh, have taken on uh, helping a lot of projects, and this is yet another great one on their list now. Also, I believe um, some some aspects of the Linux Foundation are involved, like as far as donation transparencies and 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 some of those tools. Correct? Yes, uh, it's uh, thanks to Jonathan, who is one of our community leaders. He is uh, gaining to secure all the donations we uh, gain so far. So in the past, uh, it's uh, me who is uh, taking the risk and the full responsibility for all the donations collected by the project. And now it's uh, the perfect time to give that over to uh, nonprofit organizations like Open Collective or the Linux Foundation, in this case, the Community Bridge. Okay, so there's been some confusion in the early reporting around this. So I, I kind of want to make sure we get the details about this. So what is the, the story? Because there's, I think, confusion about where existing donations are going and, and, and these types of things. Well, in, in the past, it's uh, on my personal bank account, so we couldn't uh, give you tax deductions and uh, such things. And uh, the confusion might be because uh, our uh, company has a shipperish name like Gimbihar and Kokage, which is an, in uh, UK terms, LLP, if that is a thing right. which uh, helps you out. And uh, people think it's non-profit, as Gardner and Londuk says before on a YouTube channel, uh, but we are a full-spectrum profit company now. 
All right, and that's good to be clear about because, A, it's good to know uh, what the donations uh, go towards, but also, B, it means that in the future it gives you avenues to explore, I I mean, I'm just speculating, but other commercial ventures as well that are are outside the core distribution itself, but perhaps hardware partnerships or or other ventures, right? Right, so we are in talks with several uh, other partnerships, also hardware vendors already, which will be exploring the ARM and uh, the standard Intel AMD area as well. Ooh, I'd love to know more about oh that when it gets closer. Okay, so uh, what happens to existing donations, like say the Patreon right now? Where, where Does that go away? Do they get directed towards the company? What happens in the future with that kind of stuff? Actually, I don't know of any patron. So if we have some patron, then some of the community has created that on their own, but it's not oh, related to there us. There is a page. <laughs> really? There's a, it's for the ARM community. Yeah, ah, right, they, yeah there's yeah, a Manjaro yeah. ARM. They, they mm-hmm. have it. They have it. It's a sister project. It's led uh, by Dan, and Dan explored a lot of opportunities. And if patron is one of them, sure, uh, go for them. They, I think they have also an open collective one beside us. So let's say they explored a little bit earlier what they can do, but in the end, uh, the main project will support ARM as well. So yeah, if we have a Patreon, then sure. That goes towards those efforts there individually. That makes sense. Right. So I guess I just kind of wanted to shift gears to a personal side of this. Uh, this this must be a huge moment for you to, to take something that's been a passion project and convert it to A, a legitimate business with transparency towards funding, and B, a full-time job. And I just kind of wanted to get your your state of mind on all of this right now. Well, and in the past, I was uh, in sales, so I know all about how to get a business started and such, so I actually learned that. Uh, past then, I went to IT. I worked for big companies like BMW, Audi, and other uh, automotive companies in the past for several years. Oh. And uh, the last was for public relations uh, or the public uh, industry, where it's like more slow down to relax a little bit. But uh, my main project was always Mancharo on site. And there was a point where I said, okay, is there a way to get it uh, to main uh, job or the main task as I do it anyway, to have more free time for other things. And uh, with Blue Systems, we got that chance and we took it. Congratulations. I remember that moment when I was able to take my my passion, the thing I really worked on, and push it over into the full-time employment threshold. And it's a, it's a big moment. And you realize that once you get your feet underneath you, there's a lot of opportunity that opens up. It could mean fascinating things for the future of the project. And I wonder if you think it also isn't a bit of the statement of the popularity of both the distribution, but also desktop Linux itself. Yeah, we are are community-centric, and uh, that is always community-first. And we want to keep that as that way. Um, Sure, we have to make our decisions in the commercial part of the entity, but uh, for the community itself, Manchao will always be free. Uh, we'll always gain the updates, as you know. And uh, now we'll get uh, more supportive. And if uh, a company uh, is interested in some business support, we are now able to do that. So it's a more a win-win situation for that. What a moment. What a, what a great moment. And uh, like I said earlier, it means more people working on free software. So that's great. It really solidifies the distribution, right? Yeah. Manchao is here to stay. Yeah, really, it's it's a it's a big moment. It's like a it's reaching another threshold of legitimacy in the distribution world, and um, it's just really thrilled for you guys. 
And uh, I, I think what we're going to do after this call is uh, we're going to, for a week, try to get all of our work done on Manjaro. You ready? You want? Oh to yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's a that? USB right here. I'll just yeah. we'll get it <laughs> okay. burned today. All right. So we'll report back in the next episode and, and see how it goes. You've infi- you've inspired us with all of this, Phil. Yeah. It's always like uh, we started at an operating system what uh, was useful for us. More people come uh, to the to the group and started to develop some tools like Pamac or uh, the Mancharo uh, hardware tools and other tools which make uh, the life of everyone using Linux in general easier. And uh, our tools were always uh, UI driven. So easy to use, and uh, we see a lot of Windows user enjoying Linux, and uh, some of them uh, coming to Manjaro. So it's it's a plus, and uh, we all see uh, that also in the forum. So when we announced we are a company, uh, we actually crashed it. <laughs> so we are now currently wow. working on getting a better server, more horsepower to compensate everybody's uh, going to uh, the beloved forum and uh, gain their knowledge out of it. That must be a big uh, part of the mission ahead, right, is factoring in some infrastructure improvements over time. I think I saw you mention some of that in the announcement. Sure. One of the things we plan is uh, more uh, continuous integration. So uh, all our ISOs we produce should be automatically tested, which gain also more quality itself. That's great. And we can produce them faster in a more related way. That is really great. I think um, this also reflects a great kind of common thing that happens in open source and a great kind of like um, will it make it or will it not kind of make it story. A project starts out and you'll hear common myths come up about a project. Oh, it's it's just it's delayed arch. And then the, and it's like this it's this really kind of sum the whole thing down to one variable and dismiss it kind of argument. And people people will just stick to that for a long time. But you guys stuck to it. You clearly had a vision. And you followed it. You made you made choices. Like we recently had that conversation around free office that pushed the distribution forward in certain areas. And you make compromises when you feel like the community made a good point. And so by, by sticking to that vision, by making something that truly solved problems for people, and by working with the community when when they made a fair point and, and compromising, I think you've you've kind of come on something special and unique. And it's it's uh, I think it's reflected in this as well. Well, Phil, again, congratulations, and uh, look forward to seeing where the project goes next. This is this is the beginning of a whole new era. Sure, and I hope we'll talk to you soon. Now that we've chatted with Phil, I think next week we'll get a chance to chat with Bernard. Oh, looking forward to it. And uh, we'll have Rand Manjaro. I'm going to try out some of the community edition stuff. I think it's going to be. We sure do love making promises for ourselves. I we? know we like throwing our we like throwing work at it. Like, but at least it's fun. Stuff. And it's been a while since. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, same. I'm really excited for them. You know, more people working on free software is always good. Absolutely. And, and you know, in the past, we've kind of talked about how do you make, you know, these distros that we worry about? Do we have too many distributions? Are they just sort of small, independent people working on an operation? This is a big step solidifying them, showing that Manjaro is serious about being around for a long time. Yeah, they'll be here for a while, which I think is probably um, the biggest takeaway from that story. All right, well... Let's make a little news ourselves. We like to do that every now and then. I, I'm pretty excited to say uh, time goes by really fast when you're having fun. This Thursday will be our one-year anniversary with Linux Academy. Happy birthday! Isn't that something? 
Does it feel like it's been that long? No, not really. I mean, it's a weird mix of it just happened and it's been this way forever. And I have no no idea how long it's been. Right. Which means it's been just over a bit of a year for Elle at Linux Academy. So happy birthday, belated birthday to you too, Elle. Thank you very much. So we are celebrating with uh, the launch of Self-Hosted. It's sort of a reverse birthday thing. We give you presents. (laughs) That's how it works in the internet, man. That's definitely how it works. Self-Hosted launches episode one on Thursday the 12th. Now, self-hosted has probably some of the some of the most experience we've ever like as a team. We all we went through a sprint. We we've really thought a lot about this, and it's been a really really rewarding process and a huge shift for me because before this merger, uh, a lot of times all of the creative decisions were unilaterally just made by me. Right. I mean, you were the guy running the whole thing. And there, like. Um, the idea of Tech Talk today from concept to launch happened two hour in two hours on a Monday. Wow. I, I like on the drive to work, I got there and I was like, hey Rikai, do you think we could do this? And he like, what if we did this? And I'm like, what if we did this? And then it was just like, then like the next thing was like, hey Ange, can you work so can you have somebody go get us some art? And like the whole thing just kind of just snowballs, right? But now it's we're much more deliberate because we want to measure twice. And cut once. And we know we're going to put a, a lot of effort into whatever we decide to make, right? Yeah. So we got to get it right. It's a real commitment, right? So really self-hosted is our show where you can discover software and hardware to get the most out of the devices on your network. Like control your smart devices, build things offline, take things that are available in the cloud and build them for yourself using open source software. Use the cloud, leverage it where it's appropriate, where yeah, it makes sense. But be able to integrate, use the abilities that are there, but make sure that you stay in control. Exactly. That's really the key of it. So I'm very excited about self-hosted. Episode one is this Thursday. It's Alex and myself. And then episode two, it's a twice-a-month podcast because we know there's a lot of shows out there. So we're trying to we're trying to make really good shows and not overwhelm you. And you know, there's always room for things to increase, but we wanted to make sure that we 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 really got this right, gave ourselves times to work on it. So then episode two. With Wendell from Level One Text comes out on Thursday the twenty fourth. If I'm doing my date math, right? I think you are. So it's every other Thursday. Selfhosted show slash subscribe. If you want to get it, it'll be out this Thursday. Oh man, launching a new show. There's really nothing like it. <sighs> Good job, everybody. Now, what if we wanted to ask questions? Say, say we had our own self-hosted questions, and we wanted to direct them to you guys to possibly uh, address on the show. How would we do that? Why, Cheesy, that's such a great question. You could uh, tweet them at us with a hashtag AskSSH or a Telegram and put that in there in the Telegram message, and we'll get in a future show. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's something we're going to be doing. Thank you for bringing that up. Plus, there's also the contact page, selfhosted.show slash contact. But what if what if we wanted to launch two shows this week? No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. crazy. No, we're going to do it. Actually, we've decided we're launching two shows. There's another show we're launching that we haven't told you about. It's actually already launched. Two episodes are out already as we record this. Look at this. Isn't this fun? Linuxheadlines.show. Linuxheadlines.show. Linux and open source headlines every weekday in under three minutes. How about that? That's it. That's the show. Ladies and gentlemen, very excited about the new project. I think I got to do an extras episode that that tells the uh, history of this. But this is something we have been trying to crack this formula since before the merger. Oh, yeah, a long time. Uh, it's something that Joe and I kicked around for a very, very long time. We've done internal pilots that we've canceled, but now we've decided to really go into this and really commit. 
So we're launching two new shows this week. Check out linuxheadlines.show every weekday, the headlines you care about in three minutes or less. It really is a testament to like how much has changed and you know the great support from Linux Academy that we actually have the ability to do this and feel like we can get it right and launch two shows in a single week. Yeah, we have a whole team behind us. It really makes a difference. It really does. <clears throat> and the idea here is you can get just the headlines. You pop it on before you're listening to a longer show. We're going to target it for an afternoon drive release. So we, we, we closely monitor the news, and then we have a, a process we go through to select which goes into the headlines, and we'll try to get it out for your afternoon drive on the East Coast. How great. Are you excited? Yeah, right. You're busy at work all day. You just check in and you know, go subscribe. Yeah. And we'll publish to the smart tubes as well, so you'll, you'll get it as part of your flash briefing if you like. That's all in, that's all in the process right now. It works great in that capacity. And, of course, we're putting everything we know to try to make it sound good so it's a good-sounding, clean, crisp, tight show with links for more information if you want to read it, like we always do. Of course. You guys know we got a minimum standard we're going to meet, It's going to be, and it's going to be great. So we are now in a position where we've got Linux Unplugged that covers the community stories, the ones we can really get something going about, something yeah, we can chew a on. A nice conversation. Then you got Linux Action News which covers the stories in Linux and open source every week that, that really need analysis, that need further discussion. And that's, you know, five or six headlines that we've got a further expansion and a lot of research. Yeah. We generally have contacted people involved with the stories. Good that analysis, kind of keeping you up with, you know, threads that happen over time. And then headlines keeps you current on the daily updates in the Linux and open source world right there. And uh, I, I just, I feel like we've really come up with something great. It's, we've boiled it down to the essential thing you need just to get in and get out. We're not wasting your time. Yeah, not a bunch of fluff or anything. And we try to make sure, you know, we're human, so we're still learning, but we try to make sure we have something really good out of the gate. We've been practicing for a little bit, and I think we got it. I think we do. Linuxheadlines.show slash subscribe to get that RSS feed. I am so thrilled. We've been trying to crack the daily show format for a long time. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can go. You can overdo it with campy music and, and trying to, like, uh, emulate radio. And you can under-deliver by being too dry and too boring. And you want to have some insights into what the audience is interested in. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big problem domain to solve and do it right. LinuxHeadlines.show. Go check it out. Very proud. And Self-Hosted.show. First episode comes out on Thursday. Linux Headlines already publishing. We started publishing on Monday. So if you got six minutes, you can get all caught up. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. It's really great. It's, and that's the great thing, too. It's like it's not impossible just to get it on the ground floor on both these shows. Self-hosted's coming out twice a month, so that's not going to overwhelm you. And Linux Headlines is three minutes. So it's, I, 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 uh, I appreciate that there's a lot to listen to this day, these days. Right. We do. We, do, we very much do. But uh, we responded accordingly, and we're trying to make something that's still consumable and worth your time. And, of course, we'll have links in the show notes, too, at linuxunplugged.com slash 318. Big pat on the back for everybody. Everybody on the team, we've been really, we've been whittling away at this problem. And sometimes, you know, like we had a few ideas that we really loved. We, want, we were, like, ready to publish. Really close. Really yeah. close. And we had to say, no, it's not good enough. Just got to get it right. Pretty excited. So go check those out. Linuxheadlines.show and selfhosted.show. Now, before we get into our Chrome OS discussion, and <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the machine that we put this uh, Frankenstein Chrome OS install on. Yeah, you're right. There's oh, a certain oh irony to oh, it. We'll, we'll have to get to that. But let's do a little housekeeping. There's some good things to cover here. First of all, new audio stream. We had some troubles with our jblive.fm. So if you want to tune into this here show live, 
or any of our live shows, jblive.stream now. They'll take you right to the M3U file. Yeah, high quality, low latency, Boom. just right in your ears. I like it. You, Wes, you could be like the... Uh, you should do like a slogan that we play on the live stream. Oh, yeah, right. Each time it starts up. You're listening to jblive.stream. High quality, low latency, right in your ears. <laughs> oh, coming up. <laughs> I kind of like that, dude. I think maybe yeah. you should do it there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're trying to get the FM uh, URL working because it's hard-coded into some apps and stuff. But jblive.stream, pop that in your browser, VLC, and it'll play the audio stream for you. It's going 24-7, but we do this show live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific. So if you want to join us, jblive.stream, and it's jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted in your time zone. Quick reminder, new courses in the month of September and details about those courses will have linked in the show notes. And another thing to keep on your radar, Texas Cyber Summit is coming up. It's coming up. And there's the Be New track. What should we plug about Texas Cyber Summit this week, Elle? We're going to be there. That's worth mentioning. <laughs> there is so much going on that it's hard to just kind of focus on one thing. But the one thing that I really want to announce is the fact that we're going to be doing some ticket giveaways for people to kind of stay tuned and, um, you know, come and join us and have a great time at the conference and the birthday party. Absolutely. The birthday party, too. Details about that. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Texas Cyber Summit, October 10th through the 12th at the Grand Hyatt. Should be a great time. Should be. It's been a little while since we've been to Texas. I so. know. We're missing it. You know, we're going to be going just as it starts getting real crappy here. So that's good timing. Escape. Yeah, that will be. Then we come back and it's like even worse. Crap. Yeah. crap. That's, that's, that's true. There's also a Texas Cyber Summit Telegram group if you want to get on that business. We have that linked in the show notes as well. So get all of that. LinuxUnplugged.com slash 318. That's everything for the housekeeping. Boy, Chrome OS really does seem like it's becoming the de facto desktop Linux. Because if you go by definitions of, of years past, to be, uh, a, to be desktop Linux, quote unquote, we threw out a lot of definitions. And there's a couple that really stuck. One, you should be able to go to like your big box consumer store and buy a laptop with it running on there. Right. right. Absolutely, Chrome OS meets that criteria, no doubt about it. But one that Wimpy threw out uh, a while back in the past, uh, episode 296 of this here show, at 37 minutes into the show, Wimpy mentions that to be truly a desktop Linux operating system, you need to have the ability to download the source code of the kernel and compile it and install it and reboot and load it yourself. That we weren't so sure if Chrome OS was going to meet that particular criteria, but that may be up for some debate now. So before we go too far into this, I want to go back in time, if you will allow us, go way back in time to the Linux Action Show in 2011. Brian and I were covering a Google I.O. keynote, one of their early ones, right. and Chrome OS had been announced, and we were trying to figure out what to make of this. All right, so here's the one that I think we'll touch on first. Is now Chrome OS because that's that's Linux, that's a Linux machine, and so Chrome OS I got a I got a bit of a Jeez. bit of a fanfare, Google I/O, and uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is uh, was it Sergey right from the one of the uh, Sergey Brin, the uh, head dude now over there at uh, Google, came out and said that uh, one of the reasons they're launching Chrome OS is because standard desktop operating systems, Windows implied, standard desktop OSs are torturing users. Torturing users, Wes. That's what past Chris said. Outstanding. <laughs> um, that's a strong sell. 
And now, when and, and keep in mind, when Chrome OS launched, it was a totally different thing. Now it's capable of running desktop applications from Linux. It, Chrome itself can do much more. The web is much more capable. Connectivity is more common. In 2011, Wi-Fi was just simply not as prevalent as it is today in the States. Um, there's just about every kind of medium-sized town will have some coffee shop with Wi-Fi. Right. I mean, the limitations have, have become less, and Chrome OS has grown a lot of new abilities. Exactly. And Google has grown an influence. So it's been, it's been something to watch Chrome OS over the years go from toy that we kind of mocked a little bit. Like when you watch that full episode, we're pretty harsh on it. We mock the, 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 the 100 megabytes of data bandwidth allocation that right. you get. We mock the lack of storage. We mock the idea that you'd ever use something in the web when you're offline. Like, we really kind of have a go at it. And while I actually feel like the criticisms that are brought up in that 2011 episode are still valid today, it's clear it hasn't been a huge barrier for the market. Right. More of them keep getting made, getting sold, and people are using them. And something that I don't think we fully appreciated in 2011 that we now in 2019 just have a foregone conclusion, education. Education changed all of this. I had a conversation with my son because I knew we were going to be talking about this. He's been issued a Chromebook since the second grade. Wow. He had them in kindergarten, but they were just shared in the classroom. They would put them back in a storage unit. But since second grade, he's in fifth grade now, since second grade, he's had his own assigned Chromebook. He is signed in with the same Google account. He has opted to change his password a couple of times, but I'm not even sure if that's been necessary. Talking to him really, it made me realize that where you have institutions where they have scale and they have enterprise-grade connectivity, at least close to it, those concerns about the cloud basically almost completely go away. Well, I mean, I can tell you personally that my wife uses Chromebooks in her classroom, and they have uh, what they call a Chromebook cart. So all the Chromebooks go back into the cart where they're charged up at the end of the day. The cart gets you know pushed against the wall or whatever, or can be moved to different rooms. Uh, she so far loves Google's uh, educational suite. Is it maybe kind of, sort of, possibly indoctrinating kids to use Chrome OS in the future? Maybe. Uh, is that maybe a gateway for them to learn a little bit more about Linux? Possibly. So, I mean, I think that there's, uh, you know, it's interesting how they've kind of beat some of the other players in that educational market. And they're really, they just seem to be going crazy right now in that in that arena. My instinct on that about the indoctrination is it's a little bit of yes and no. I don't know about you guys, but when I was going to school, Apple was really pushing in education. Apple IIs were really common in my school, and then later they were replaced by the Macintoshes, uh, the sort of like the post-Steve Job Macintosh right. monster machines. Yep. Our schools were filled with those. Did you guys have that? Absolutely. Yeah, I had Macs, but then those were supplanted when Microsoft got into the same game of pushing right. Windows PCs into schools everywhere. Yes. So I kind of switched halfway through. Yes. Yeah, I witnessed a little, I witnessed that's a story for an extras one day. I witnessed quite a thing. Um, but same same sort of thing. It was a it was a battle. There was a and even later when I it was still in school but became part of the uh, district IT department uh, as I did back then. There was a split internally in the IT department between Mac and Windows. There were the Mac technicians and they were a little arrogant. 
And then there was the Windows technician, and they had contempt for the Mac guys. Well, of course. And it was really something because I was just sort of a universalist. I didn't really care, just liked technology. And that was what was I was into. So I was like, you want me to fix a Mac? That's fine. You hadn't joined a gang like, yet. Like, really? You don't mind? No. But you fixed the Windows computer. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Of course, I eventually burned out on fixing the Windows computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and now I've burned out on fixing Mac, so I just stick to Linux. It is interesting, though, right? I mean, in, in some ways, education makes a lot of sense because you have fewer power users that, that have special applications that they need to, to run or, or support, and you have less sort of embedded other legacy applications existing. So at least for the students, you can have this sort of fresh idea and actually take hold. Well, and from the school district standpoint, you're not dealing with passing around files in a way that is likely to expose the school to malware. Yeah, it's students, a lot safer by default. Right? Students could take something home, they could get a USB drive infected, especially when everybody's on Windows. You know, Everybody's heard this story. Bring it back to the school, school gets the virus, now you got crypto <laughs> encrypted uh, uh, you know, files everywhere. Then additionally, the school district doesn't have to worry about centralized disk storage for all of the docs and, and the spreadsheets and the presentations because that's all online in Google Drive and so that reduces their investment and server hardware and administration and overhead. So it's a great ongoing cost. Yeah, it's a great cost. It's a big cost for them, sure. It's an ongoing cost, but it's great. It's fantastic because we don't have to do all these things. And at the end of the day, if a Chromebook breaks, it's on warranty. It's on a service contract and we just get it replaced. And we love it when these uh, machines uh, just get swapped out because they'll often just put the newer version in. It's great. It's a it's a pretty good... And when you're dealing with students who are hard on computers... Right. You don't need a big, expensive machine. You want something, you know, light and flexible. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm curious as to, you know, because it's obvious that the Chromebook's cheaper than Apple's offering with the iPad. And if you're buying these in bulk for an entire district, you've got to be getting a great deal. And like you said, tag on the extra services. Um, it's, it's really kind of a no-brainer, it seems like, for education these days to, to gravitate that way. I also think, back to the indoctrination point, there is some benefit in just learning the general concepts of like copy and paste and how spreadsheets work and how docs work and the the concept of saving your files. Those are universal concepts that would apply just as, as equally to LibreOffice and Office 365. So teaching the students those high-level concepts that they can then apply to other UIs is useful. And I have to make this argument because – I was the guy advocating to switch the school district to LibreOffice, and the parents would come to me and they would say, you can't do that. Our our kids are going to go use Office in the real world, and so they have to use Office in the schools. And my counterargument was, that's not true. By using LibreOffice, they will learn these fundamentals that they can apply to any software suite. Well, flip it around. Now something else has come in. Those those yeah. things are still true. Right. And they're they're going to be interacting with other cloud services. They, they're they certainly going to go to Google to, go, to use, you know, to actually search the web. So it's sort of inevitable. Mm-hmm. I, it does. One thing I've noticed with uh, my two older kids is it indoctrinates a web-first mentality. So I, Dylan had a little video project that he wanted to edit and a photo. I think you were here when he wanted to yeah, do the, right. the Pokemon photo thing. And he was really struggling using a desktop application. And then I realized, you know what I could do is I could open up Photopea in a web browser for him. He'll get this. And he just, it was it was like he was back at home. And I'm sitting there one time trying to show him Katie in live, and he laughs at me. <laughs> oh, Dad, what are you doing? Just open up Chrome. What are you doing? And then, of course, because this web one has, like, all of these, like, 
stock search stuff it can do. So like it can go get the green screen background for him and all of these things that are so much better when you have like infinite search and all this kind of stuff. And I felt like, I felt like, um, like uh, that was probably the biggest side effect of him spending so much time on Chrome OS is even now when he's on his elementary OS laptop, which is a Dell XPS, he's doing everything in Chrome. Right. But isn't that true of, you know, adults too now? People who aren't into, you know, tinkering and playing with computers. I mean, most people open Facebook or play some, maybe some games on the web, check the news, send email. So if this is the common consumer use of Linux, like when you, when you look at all the school uses, when you look at average people that buy them, the fact that you can get them from a store, it's kind of Linux for the masses, much like Android was. And now it's even easier because you, you loaded a project on a very ironic piece of hardware so tell people about what this is and what machine we put it on. Yeah, okay. So this is um, Cloud Ready, which is a distribution basically of Chrome OS or maybe maybe Chromium. You know, they use the upstream sources for Chromium OS and then build and ship their own. Now we're using the free edition, but they also provide commercial editions that gets you their support and also integration with all of Google's enterprise management sort of features. Take that in for a second. So they are reselling a version of Chromium OS with their commercial support, and the the appeal is you can essentially install it on any x86 machine. Yeah, I mean, it kind of worked just like any other Linux distribution. Downloaded the file, I used Etcher to write it to a flash drive, got here, booted it up on the Librem 15. The what? Uh, you know, the Librem 15. Turns out it makes a great Chromebook. The yeah, Libra, it does. For 15 really made it Took great. a little bit to get installed, but now it's it's up and running, and we even got the Linux application beta mode enabled. Yeah. Now, th- that's, that is, oh, wow. So this is something I'd really been wanting to try for a really long time. You, Two ways to get to it. If you just launch the search, like, launcher, and type in terminal and hit enter, it just brings up the screen that says, hey, do you want to set up a Linux environment? That's so handy. Or you're just in the settings. You can go to Linux in beta, it has in parentheses, and start, and it loads a Debian 9 environment with the full app repository. You quickly installed Darktable. Yeah, we got up. We could just edit photos like any Linux desktop. Chrome OS picks up the .desktop file, creates a launcher yeah, entry for it. it shows up in the launcher at the, at the, the system icon, level. The, dark, the appropriate Darktable icon is right there in the Chrome launcher. And you're running it. No, like, weird borders Didn't around the window. Didn't seem super slow or anything. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. And now the thing they're taking it to the next level is they're letting you choose what distro you want in that environment or per- perhaps, potentially, even possibly, all of them at once. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, uh, I mean, like, am I supposed to be attracted to this? I don't know. Is this supposed to be something I'm attracted to? I can't tell anymore. Well, it is... Um you know, it's it's kind of on the borderlines now because before it was almost like an appliance, right? Mostly a black box. You, you weren't going to tweak it too much. You used it transactionally. You weren't invested. That was the entire point of the, the Chromebook. The entire point. And now that's a little less true, but a lot only, less as, true? only as much as you want it, right? Because you yes. can blow this environment away. You can All your stuff is still going to be saved to the cloud, right? You have to share folders into this Linux environment. You don't have to go down these rabbit holes. Right. So maybe, you know, I think we've both gone through phases where you, you're your workstation can be both a workstation and sort of a, a toy, a hobby machine. When you're not looking to do that, right? This might this might be perfect. You know it's not going to break. You're not going to be able to do an apt get right before the show and, and have it not loading to show you the show notes, right? Yeah. 
That's my favorite thing to do. But if you want to go install or try to play with some random Linux app, well, yeah. you probably could. Or, you know, you want to get this particular app from Debian and you want to get that particular app from Fedora and you can just pick and choose. I mean, it's also embracing a bunch of neat kernel features, right, with containers and such to make all this possible. So that's yeah. neat. Both of us were like, yeah, performance seems just fine. Even with something like Darktable, it just seems fine. It it, it does see, feel like... Looking out Chrome OS, it's been probably since 2014, the last time I gave it a serious go. I think it was 2014 when we first got word of Crouton. I was like, all right, I'll give, I'll give it a try. <laughs> right. Like every time something significant with Linux happens on the Chromebook, I'm like, all right, okay, I'll give it a try. So this time I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And I go in there and I check it out and I'm like, it's way more complicated than it used to be. Like it's got a full desktop now with like a whole different launcher setup. Like it, they've, they have complicated it up a little right. bit. Right. I mean, it's even got a, some decent window management. We were splitting yeah. windows and dragging, dragging them, them and resize. Yeah. And nice. it was doing the thing where it'll pair the two windows and then you can just drag that one middle bar and it resizes both of them at the same time. I love that. Slick. And so I just think that's the best. I kind of liked it. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. You know, I was thinking back, like, like when I was in college or similar times where I didn't have a lot of time to mess around, but I was still I was using Linux at the time. This would be fine. You know, I was I was doing stuff on other servers anyway. If I wanted a little terminal to play with something, it's there. That's why I like this project you found because it's a great way to like Chrome OSify a laptop that you might just like keep at the couch or something. I, I for a little while it was too nice of a machine to leave it like this, but for a little while we had the XPS thirteen, and we just took it and wedged it between a cushion in the couch. Oh, nice! It sounds really low tech, but it was perfect because you'd sit there and you're like, I just want to look something up real quick, and you just told you take out this tiny wedge of a computer, open it up, and do a quick search. And I used it all the time, and I kind of miss having that, but I just couldn't commit to putting something really nice. That just seems like such a waste, right? But, but a, maybe a Chromebook, a, maybe or an old laptop with sure with cloud ready on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll give this cloud ready a go. The free version seems perfectly fine. Yeah. And there's also other projects we'll have linked in the show notes that may take those types of installs and perhaps Chrome OSify them as the projects. Say. Yeah, there's various there's various little attempts at, you know, making yeah. this work to be a little more Linuxy. You know, I was a little off put at first when you have to, you know, you install it and of course you're prompted to log in with your thing. with your Google account. But but that's what happens on other operating systems. And the nice part is you set it up. We set it up under your account, and I wanted to go play with it, and you were off working working somewhere else. I can just log in with my Google account, and then suddenly it's it's my Chromebook too, right? Like it has all my links. It's signed in. It's ready to go. And more importantly, we both had our own unique Linux environments. So I whatever I'd done in my Linux environment, whatever I'd set up was not applicable to your account. Right. So you could go in there and set up your own environment, and you didn't mess with mine. And I. That is super nice because you can't even do that on a on a Linux box, right? right? Not by default. <laughs> no, no. So there is some potential there. It it leaves me with this weird feeling um, because it's it feels much like the Android situation where it's Linux, it's it's Linux, but it's it's reimagined with some of the same base parts. But right. it's not what we would have felt in 2011 when it came out. My my vision for Linux desktop for the masses involved some version of a desktop with GNOME shell or Plasma on it. That was my like that's my ideal desktop. Linux is a mainstream free software desktop is what everybody's using. But the reality is, is Linux is a fundamental enabling technology that massive corporations that have the means are going to use to publish their own product. Right, but they've got their own agendas, their own yeah. you know, their own designs on it, and they can use those technologies because of those licenses and shape it to be whatever they want. And it means that they don't have to invent how to do TCP IP and can instead 
focus on things like services and a decent desktop feature set and things like power management, power washing for restoring, multi-user stuff, Linux environment containers. I mean, there's a clear advantage for them. And um, I, I, I guess I give Chrome OS more respect now after this than I did as a development workstation. I kind of thought that was sort of cute that they right. were trying to compete with WSL or, you know, like, Docker, you know, all the different things that we just recently talked about, the code-ready containers from Red Hat. That's another attempt at this. Like, all these different attempts to make development on the desktop match production. Like, that's one of Ubuntu's strengths, is you can deploy Ubuntu LTS on your laptop, and you can develop on the same environment that you run in production. Yeah. Google's trying to give you all the options. Hey, you, you got a Debian server in production? You got an Ubuntu server in production? That's great. Just... Get Chrome OS. We'll play with that. It's pretty. And yeah. you're already using Chrome anyway. Yeah, they're getting, yeah, you're already all, you got a Gmail, you're using Docs and Drive. Listen. We're going to have to install Firefox on there after the show, you realize, right? Just just to be fun. We totally should. We should do that. We should totally do that. Also, I just realized it'd be interesting to see what the battery life is like on that. Well, you know, we might just leave it around for a while and start start using it a bit. It would almost, almost... If it didn't require installing PureOS, it would almost be worth putting PureOS on there and seeing what the battery life is, and then putting Chrome OS back on there and seeing what the battery life is. You know, just, just for science. Yeah, just for science. All right. Well, these scientists are uh, getting back to the lab, so I encourage you to join us next week in that there chat room or mumble room. Go to jblive.tv for that live extravaganza or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the time and links to everything, including the new shows and all of that, at linuxunplugged.com slash 318. Go get more Wes Payne over at the Tech Snaps. Yeah. And now, Linux Headlines. Wes, myself, and Drew bring it to you every weekday. Well, Linux Headlines, not show. And check out Self-Hosted with Alex and myself. Episode 1 launches this week, and then Episode 2 with Wendell coming up very soon. We'll see you back here next Tuesday! Cloud Ready was legit or not, but it seems like it is. Yeah, actually working pretty good. It did. It did work pretty good. I think I might give it a go myself. Yeah, if you haven't, if you got a machine laying around, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there's if it's possible to like compartmentalize it or install it. Virtual machine would be your best bet because by yeah. default, it just wanted to wipe the whole thing. Initially, we were th- we were thinking just do a VM, but then when we had the Librem 15 and the deliciousness of that irony, we couldn't resist. I stumbled about uh, on Cloud Ready 2 just recently because my Chromebook was end of life. I was just surprised sure. to see that Google has some life cycle for its Chrome devices. I mean, what can't be so hard to give updates for a single program? Yeah, right. That's, I cannot understand that because even Windows XP or Windows 7 have a 10 years lifespan. How long have you had that Chromebook? Well, that's an Asus 720. It came out in 2030. Hmm. 
There was first a feature freeze, so installing uh, Linux applications was not possible. I can somehow understand it because the hardware given to ROM was not the best one. Sure. But, I mean, leaving the people out there now without security updates is something I cannot understand. I, I really cannot understand because hardware is known. I mean, you have your, your build config file for that hardware. You just push a button and the release is out. You know the kernel's going to be supported. Right. I can't argue with that. You would think out of all of the OSs, this would be the one they could support the longest. But who knows? What, who knows? I'm sure there's partner dynamics involved, as they would say. The thing is, <laughs> as you told at the beginning, these are computers that are used in schools, that are used for people that are not that gifted when it comes to computer knowledge. So all they want is they see an icon and they say, I have to update. So they push a button, the system is rebooting, and everything is done. And after five or six years, you stop with that. And now you leave all the people with security issues with a program that has, I think, the worst attacking surface you can have on the internet, like True. the internet browser. Right. Yeah, that is, for me, not understandable at all. Really not. So I stumbled about Cloud Ready, and I probably will have to install that on my Chromebook now. I'd be curious to know if it works, because that's a great point you're making. And I think... Obviously, the other elephant in the room on this conversation that we've just we've talked about so many times that I didn't go there, but the whole privacy aspect of it. It's just there's a clear privacy concern yeah. with Chromebooks that are, simply do not exist with desktop Linux. Not at all. Not in the same way at all. But that is it. That is an entire conversation in itself. So I didn't I didn't bring it up in this episode. Yeah. And it's hard to tease that apart from the Chrome environment in general and using Google products and, and Chromium and yeah. yeah. So it, we just felt that we'd focus on the tech side of it, but it, we don't need a two hour unplugged. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I really, it, it, thinking about all that stuff, it's, it's really something. Uh, I want to do a quick pick, uh, follow up to a pick we did, uh, last week. So last week, I think it was, we talked about uh, USB top. Um, but unfortunately it is not available in Fedora and it never will be right. Carl, never. Yeah, it's already there. It is there. What? It is there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, after the show, Carl contacted me and said, hey, uh, what do you think about me giving that a crack? Carl, you're the best. He, that's uh, awesome. He knew. He knew we needed it. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't? No, it was a pretty straightforward spec file. I love it. That's awesome. Best audience ever. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, another round of applause is due in this episode. We're very happy to say another episode of Brunch with Brent will be coming out tomorrow on the Extras feed. Hey, yo. Brent, we should tease this one a little bit. What can we expect from uh, this week's episode of Brunch with Brent? Well, last week we had Drew on. I don't know if everyone caught that. Um, and this week, uh, Wes, you make it on with me. And we have a great, great conversation. Uh, we go into a whole bunch of stuff that is completely different than all of the previous Brunch with Brent, which is the case. Every new guest brings a new flavor. Uh, and so this week, I don't know, we, we, we chatted about some a whole bunch of adventures in learning and problem solving because Wes and I are all about that. Um, we talked about the art of being introverted and agreeable, which uh, that's me. That doesn't um, sound like us at all. No, not at all. And uh, Wes really talked about the value of hammock time. And so you can learn more about that. <laughs> Extras.show. Yeah. Hmm. That's a uh, hammock time. I want a hammock. Can we get one of those in the studio? I think we need one. I think that I think that would be really good. Whew. I'm uh I, I you know I uh, I can't believe we've launched a daily show a little bit. Because so many times in the past we were like, nope, not good enough, damn it, and right. we've killed it. 
And uh, so this time, I, I don't know, I think part of me thought we were never going to actually launch. It didn't feel like it, right? We were going to keep contemplating it, keep shooting it down for one reason or another. Yeah. But the thing where we had our breakthrough, I have to say, is um, I think by A, killing it and then giving space to reconsider it like uh, with no pressure. Right. And then B, the test pilots we did where we started – so um, we're, in, we're kind of splitting up the work a little bit. So it will be myself, Wes, and Drew. And um, that was kind of one of the breakthroughs we had is we realized it's probably going to be a lot more sustainable if we don't make it all just Chris or just Joe. Not one of us goes crazy. Yeah. And so then we just kind of had to figure out like the math on that, how to set up like a backup system. And we have a check-in system that we have because it's got to happen every single day. Right. I mean, we both had to learn how to and got to take advantage of the team system we have now. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to increase staffing a little bit because news research is a big part of what we do. And there's a pipeline now that brings in all of this news and it just required a little bit of staffing. Yeah, you don't have to, you know, draw the depths of all those barbaric Linux news sites out there. Just just come to us. We What's gonna this. be a challenge for me, and it may even happen as soon as next week, possibly, is at some point I'm gonna be on the road. Again. Yeah. And I'll have to do the show from the road somehow. But I got a decent mobile recording setup. That's true. We've been working on that. Yeah. We're, so, gonna, we're really going to have to figure it out now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, we got a good backup system, so I could always pull the backup lever. Of course. And uh, just be like, bail me out. So I, I could always do that, too. Yeah. So look for, you know, varied JB voices from time to time. Yeah. But uh, I'll generally uh, I'll generally be there on Mondays for now. At least as we kick things off, and then uh, Wes and I throughout the week, and then Drew on Fridays. Fridays with Drew. That's right. 